If you're tired of bad news, if you need some positivity, if you want to support small businesses, then welcome to Happy Grateful Blessed with Kaysville's own mayor, Tammy Tran. Here, you'll get to see the best of humanity from within Utah's hidden gem, Kaysville City. Every month, you'll discover small businesses, hear unique and incredible stories, and understand the difference you make in this wonderful city. If you haven't already, be sure to subscribe to this podcast so that you'll never miss a chance to find a new business to support and learn what makes a city like this one work as well as it does. So join us as we explore Happy Grateful Blessed with Tammy Tran. I have a special guest today with me, and I'm super excited to talk to you, Andrew. Andrew Van Noy, he's the CEO of Deep Power, which is a geothermal drilling company. Correct. And you have a nonprofit yeah. called New Path Foundation. Correct. Right? Yeah. Andrew, I remember seeing your story, I think it was on social media, and and it was super inspiring, and I, I'm so, so I'm really excited to be Good. able to talk to you about this. It's a pleasure. Thank you for having me. Go ahead and just start. Start yeah. telling us about you. Well, I think my journey is, uh, is important to hear from the beginning. When I was 17 months old, I was diagnosed with cancer called retinoblastoma. It's cancer of the retina, and it's a kind of a fun story. Well, fun, I guess. It's a cool story. My mom uh, went to a pediatrician for a baby checkup, and you know when they do the light uh, you know, to the pupils? I didn't. I, I didn't ever really know why they're doing that. They're looking for a few things, but one, they're looking to see if there's a reflection in that light. And back, this was, I'm 41, so that was a while ago. Technology wasn't what it is today. And uh, this little Indian doctor said, hey, you know, you might need his eyes checked when he gets older because there might be something wrong. And like just vision wise. And mm-hmm. my mom said, okay, nothing, not, thought nothing of it. And then a couple weeks go by, uh, we were the young family, they had one car, my dad had it at work, so she was kind of stuck at home. And she had this kind of prompting, like, go to the eye doctor. And she's like, ah, whatever. A couple days later, has this another, like, thought, go to the doctor. Doesn't have a car, pushes it off. And then she, her experience, she heard an audible voice, someone yell at her, take him to the doctor now. And within that afternoon, I was on the operating table because the cancer was going up the optic nerve and almost was at the brain. So uh, within hours, my eye was removed. There was no other option at that point. And I was 17 months old. You know, my sweet dad, you know, begged the doctor to give his eye for me. And back then, and even today, if you sever the optic nerve, it's like a million different wires have to be put together, color-coded, but there's no colors. Okay, so just, there's no technology there's no that could ever restore sight once the optic nerve is severed. So anyways, long story short, you know, I had a fake eye growing up. It didn't look good. Um, I was bullied and picked on as a kid because kids, you know, they don't know what to do they're with curious, abnormal. They're mean, yeah. right. You know, but that created kind of this victimhood mentality my whole life. You know, I, the first girl I ever liked said I was a monster and oh, that no Andrew. one would ever love me because I look like that, right? So as a little kid, you're susceptible and you you tell yourself this story. And so you think that's what the world believes of you, right? Mm-hmm. So I, I have a lot of good skills and talents, but I always was limited by this self-belief that I'm a monster. No one will ever love me. I'm, I'm weak, you know? And so through high school, I was growing in my abilities. And I always, every time I looked in the mirror, I was always embarrassed of myself because I had this flaw and, um, and it hurt, right. And it hurt with relationships. And even through college, you know, when I started dating my now wife, I was like, well, she's not going to love me. And it's crazy that without going through therapy, like this is just deep ingrained 
ingrained in your fiber, being told your whole life. You believe it's who you are. You do. That's... And so, obviously, she loved me in spite of my eye. Um, I think there's a few things to love about me, I guess, other than that. But um, she helped me break down some walls. But what was cool is during COVID, um, I was kind of thinking, okay, what can I do? We all had a lot of time to think, right? We really did. Uh, I was thinking, what can I do to flip the script and the narrative in my mind to kind of empower myself and to show others that you don't have to be bound by limitations that are either self-imposed or on others. And so I started design. I, I kind of pretend like I want to be Tony Stark. So I started looking at my cell phone. And I said, okay, the components of my cell phone could fit in my eye a camera, optical zoom, a battery. And I started designing an, a bio eye that I could like wink twice and take a picture. Really? You know, but then I, I started doing research and I was like, this would cost $100 million because they have to surgically remove my eye implant. I was like, okay, I can't do that. What's the next best thing? So then I designed an eye that had a diamond in the pupil. Now, I know your listeners can't see me, mm-hmm. but if you can imagine me with an eye in my pupil, there's a diamond. We will post a picture. That's okay, great. Cool. Thank you. And what happened was I, instead of hiding my eye... I became the one empowering myself to have others look at me. I say, look at me, right? And it did something in my brain where now I became proud of of my flaw. And this is what's so funny is my liability or my weakness literally turned into an True. asset. Because uh-huh. there's, there's, my wife's afraid I'm going to get jumped someday and someone's going to oh, steal my eye. Really? <laughs> I might be the first person on the planet that loses an eye to mugging, right? Mm-hmm. Um, but uh that's, that is a possibility. So it literally became an asset. And now it's kind of awkward. I walk to the airport and sometimes I feel like maybe I need to wipe my nose because everyone's looking at me and I forget really? it's there, but they're staring at my eye. So I'm not 100% like comfortable because my whole life I've hit it now. And but now you're, you're is, celebrating. Yeah, now this is my platform. Like it doesn't matter if you have a physical flaw, mental, like how can you turn that into something that you're proud of? If you have one arm, make an arm with a fishing pole. Mm-hmm. I don't care. You know, like do something that will help you say, hey, this isn't a weakness. This isn't hold me back. Andrew, so. I, I love <laughs> I love this story and I love your experiences. Thank you. As a kid, I'll just I'll just share something. So I when I was four, I was attacked by my cousin's dog. Oh, wow. And um, the dog bit my bit my ear off and the oh, whole geez. side of my face. And so I have a scar on one side of my face. And growing up as a child, so this happened when I was four, I was super Traumatic. embarrassed about oh, it. Yeah. Oh, super. It was raised. It was brown. Mm. It was very noticeable. Over the years, as and as I've been able to afford some laser treatments, uh, I've had them done and it softened the look of the scar. But I always grew up feeling very... Um, very embarrassed yeah. that I was Asian, that I had this huge scar on my mm-hmm. face. And it wasn't until I went to a, 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 a doctor here in Caseville and I was telling her, oh, I'm so sensitive about my skin. And, you know, and she said, Tammy, you have grown up with this, 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 this distortion, th- this scar on your, on your face. And, and it's been the focal point of so many things. And she said, I know that you're highly insecure about this, but this is why you shouldn't be. You really don't notice it, et cetera, et cetera. And she said, you know, you can turn that into a strength. Mm -hmm. And it was so good, but I didn't learn that until, you know, I I was an adult. Right. 
and already had children, but I didn't realize how that affected me so deeply on such a deep level. And so it's really neat to see that you've been we able can to empathize take something, with each other. right? Yes. Exactly. And and everyone can. Everyone's yep. got something yep. that they've grown up with or experienced as sort of just a really embarrassing yeah. trait about them or, or defect in their mind. But, but it's why really do you neat. want to be normal? Exactly. Right? Being an average and normal, and there's nothing special about that. And it took me a while to realize, like, someone once told me, Andrew, you might very well be one in eight billion. Mm-hmm. Like, there might be another person on the planet that put a diamond. I don't know. But that made me feel like, wow, how special and rare exactly. am I that I have something that other people don't? Right. But we don't look at it that way. But why do we want to be normal? Why do we want to have perfect everything? Because that's just normal. You know, right? it, it, it's so true. I mean, <laughs> be unique. Be special. It, 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 and let's celebrate that. Yeah. And it's okay. I grew up feeling very ashamed about being Asian. And then I realized, you know, I get into public service. And it's really funny. People remember me. Mm-hmm. I'm the fourth foot tall person. <laughs> And and so people come up to me and they remember me. And so it it is becoming a strength to me, but gosh, I just wish I could go back to my little kid self and say, it's going to be okay. And and hopefully this message in this podcast will help people realize it's going to be okay. Celebrate what makes you unique. Yes. And people ask me if I could go back and, and redo it and save my eye, would I? And that's a very, very hard thing to think about. And I have... 100% 100% confidence now that I could always say no, because what I've learned by this experience, and this sounds a little creepy, like I don't see dead people, but I see things differently than other people. Mm-hmm. So where I see other people have eyesight, I have vision. And my entire life, I love that. I see things differently. And maybe it's a gift I've been given. Maybe it's a, a learned trait, but I see things different. And I know that wouldn't have happened had I had two eyes. And so I physically see things, but spiritually, emotionally, I see things. And that has given me so many opportunities in my life to bless other people, to help other people. And more importantly, like, you know, it gave, it gave me an empathy mm-hmm. where if anyone is picked on, abused, the, the, the little person, I have this deep, deep ingrained empathy because I was that person, right? And that's kind of catapulted my, my desire and passion in life where you mentioned my nonprofit. I had a friend that went to prison. <clears throat> a very sad story. He was in the Utah state prison system for far longer than he should have been. Um, I could go into that uh, and the injustice there, which I'm prison reform is a big uh, passion of mine. But uh, I created this nonprofit because I went to go visit him in prison and I saw behind his shoulder was a Hispanic family, three little girls, and you know, seeing them interact with their dad and just sobbing when they left. And I thought, when someone goes to prison, the ripple that we don't see is massive, how it impacts the family, the kids. And I created this nonprofit to help that single mom and those kids have resources and abilities that they wouldn't have otherwise. And we, we focus on transportation because the vulnerable class of our society gets taken advantage of. They don't have good credit. They don't have money down. Mm-hmm. So they go buy a, a car that might only be worth $1,000 and they spend five on it. Right, because they're taking advantage of it. And then they get a 20% interest loan. And what happens is they'll never, ever get ahead because the value is so less than what they owe and the interest is so high. And then the thing breaks down and then they're out again, right? 
So we've designed educational materials, a process to allow people to have access to transportation. Because if you can't have a reliable transportation, how do you go to work? True. Can't go to work. You can't have a good house. Like it is one of the fundamental pieces of success. Oh, absolutely. You can't provide for your family. You, yeah. you, you can't do anything. And public transportation is great, but it's not always. It's, it's not always accessible. No. You can't get a job always that will give you uh, that, you know, it yeah, doesn't yeah, all tie right together. Yeah, the bus stop yep. that, that's really convenient and right. easy to use. So in terms of the empathy piece that you yeah. talked about, I, I wanted to kind of just circle back a little bit to your childhood. As a child, tell us tell us about your parents. How how did they respond to you? And, yeah. and, and for parents listening, how can we help our kids who are struggling with anything? Yeah, you know, I am everything. happy, grateful, blessed. <laughs> Thank you. That I have some of the greatest parents on the planet. And they did everything they could to make my life better uh, to alleviate my pain, but ultimately they knew it was my pain. It was my journey, right? I'd get in trouble at school. I would, there were so many things that I reacted because of circumstances, bullying, whatever. I reacted in ways that they didn't know how to handle and they didn't always know why it was related, right? And I didn't as a kid. For why sure. would I get suspended at school? Why was this happening? Because I didn't know how to handle the emotions of being an outcast or feeling that way, right? Mm-hmm. Um, they always loved me. Did they? Always. And I get emotional. Sorry. Oh, I think it's because wonderful. Because they're, they're amazing people. And uh, I wouldn't be who I am without them. Sorry. Oh, it, it's fantastic to yeah. hear about wonderful I'm parents. I'm a crier. <laughs> Maybe there's because there's a diamond in my eye. It's caused me <laughs> my tears to flare up. No. Um, but I think as a parent, somehow, and I had a conversation with my 12-year-old son the other night. I said, because I don't know if I ever expl- shared with him some of my childhood. And I said, Kids are mean, mm-hmm. and they're going to say things, and that really deeply impacts people. But I, I said, and this may have already happened to you, but how can I help you have the tools to, to manage that? Because guess what? When you get your first job, you might have a boss that is horrible to you and mean and unfair and lying. This isn't a childhood experience. Like This is going to happen your entire life. So how can I help you give you tools to process the emotion, know what to do with it, and know how to you know compartmentalize or to, to manage it, right? So you can't, as a parent, you can't remove that from your child, even though that's every parent's desire. You can't save them you can't necessarily, save them. but we can help them. How do you give them the tools to manage situations? That's the best we can do. And always show them we love them no matter what, right? Is that what your parents did then? They were just able to talk you through those? Yeah, and they didn't have like podcasts and YouTube. Like like back then, right, they didn't have tools and resources. Like how do I help my child with this, right? They just loved you. They just loved me and were patient. And I got grounded a ton because I was back talking. My mom would probably (laughs) laugh if she's listening to this, right? I love it. Um, But yeah, love and consistency, you know. And and just helping you to, to realize that your self-worth wasn't dependent upon no. your physical appearance. But again, no matter what your parent says, it, it, a child has to, uh, right. to internalize that themselves, right? You have to do that. So as a child, how did you get to the point where that was happening and maybe you didn't even realize it, that you were internalizing your own self-worth? I mean... I'm I'm 41 and I'm still, still doing it, right? Same. Like I like I'm going like I love therapy. And and therapy is not I think every person on this planet could use therapy. I agree. Why? Because as children we don't know how to process emotions and they create these core memories that may or may not be true and without good therapy guidance of how to separate events and emotions like we all have something we're stuck with so i just started therapy again last week to be honest on things that say okay there's some things i want to improve on in my life but i can tell i'm stuck and i know i'm stuck because of some past things and i just need some skills and some tools on how to overcome it 
And at first, that might make me feel weak. Like, I'm a man. I, I'm the CEO <laughs> of a public company. I don't need therapy, you know, but I, I don't have the tools to do it myself. And that recognition is such a wonderfully adult realization, yes. such a mature uh, consideration. Yeah. We all, need we, it. we all need help. We and it all should need be more like accepted and, and embraced. Like, hey, you need therapy? Great. Let's go. Let's go to therapy. Exactly. Let's go talk this through. Yeah. We don't have to feel sad. We don't have to always feel um, inadequate. We can feel strong Absolutely. and so grateful. Yep. And, th- and I want to be the best version of myself. Mm-hmm. And I think we all, we work out, we eat healthy, we do things in our life to better ourselves. But if you don't take care of that part of your life, you can never be your best version because that's the human experience. We all have these things that happen to us or we do or whatever. Your dad yells at you or beats you as a kid or right. something. We all have something that forms that and keeps apart. And I, I believe most of us don't know how to overcome that on our own. It's true. And I think we don't even know it's there. No. But we get angry all of a sudden or enraged all of a sudden yes. and we wonder the and everyone around us, exactly, why right. are we so mad? Right. Wasn't a big deal. But we are because of those deep-seated associations, like you said, and yep. memories and experiences. Andrew, you have accomplished so much in your life. You mentioned <laughs> your age. You're very young, very enthusiastic, and very successful. Tell us a little bit. So you talked a little bit about New Path Foundation. Um, did you start? I, I think there are a lot of people that are interested in doing good. Yeah. And maybe want to start a nonprofit. Tell us, how does that, how did you do that? Yeah. You know, um, I think people always say, well, when I, when I succeed, so. When I, when I, I get there, then right. I get back. Like okay. I wanted to become an eye doctor because that was my entire life's experience. So I, I went to Romania with a BYU class to go work at a children's hospital, or an orphanage, feeling like, okay, I want to do good. This is where I, I want to spend my life doing the philanthropic part. But then I realized it might be 30 years in my profession if I become an eye surgeon before I could actually do that piece. And I was impatient. So I was like, uh, what's the fastest way out of school? And I, I'm not going to slam what major I took, but uh, mm-hmm. it got me out. And then uh, I, I took a different path. But um, I think I realized that I can't wait until I have the the means or the resources or the times to do good. And, you know, I'm a fairly religious person. And I had to look at the, one of the most influential person people to me on the planet helped one person at a time. Right. right. And you don't need a lot of money. You don't need a lot of resources to help the one. So how can you help the one? You don't need a big elaborate organization and raise all sorts of money to help one person. And if you can help one, then can you help two? And can you help three? And if you go slow, uh, the purpose should be helping people. Now, I wish every day I could help millions of people. That's not where we're at, right? Uh, Getting funding for nonprofits is extremely hard. There's available resources. There's lots of mouths and hungry hands, you know, mouths that want the money. So many asks. And so, you know, can you create a business that creates enough income where you can put a part of it there? Then maybe that's a way to sustain it, right? Um, I'm really proud at what I'm doing at Deep Power. It's not connected to New Path. And I don't spend a lot of time on New Path Foundation. I have some people that that do. But um, my, my day job, Deep Power, is also comes from a passion to change the world. So let's take you back okay. seven years. Um, my wife and I are foster parents um, in California. We live in Santa Barbara. We fostered eight kids, nine kids. I should know that number. My wife's going to get mad. <laughs> um, we've adopted two of those. So we were foster parents. My wife was really sick. I was in a local uh, bishopric for my church. Uh I was CEO of a publicly traded company flying around the country every other week. Um, 
And one day my vision started to go like really blurry and I was like, what is going on? And, um, over a year period, I started going blind, which is really? my biggest fear on oh. ever since a kid being blind is my biggest fear with all my issues year of going to UCLA and trying to the best medical doctors in the world, all they could say was that I had too much stress in my life. And somehow I had to reduce my stress. Really? And so um, I had to basically move to Utah with my family. So we had support here. We were no longer foster parents, leave my like local ecclesiastical duties and somehow focus on myself, which I never had done in my life. And as I was looking at what next job, I, I loved my job. I was in marketing and advertising. We had artificial intelligence technology for oh, advertising. That would be really fun. It was fun. I have a lot of cool stories. Um, but I said, ah, do I wake up? Am I doing good? Like, can I make money, provide for my family? Yes, that's a great thing. But what, is what I'm doing going to change something? Is it going to matter when I'm gone? And so I had some investors in my previous company that said, our earth is so fragilely connected to oil and gas that, you know, regimes and governments have controlled the world's economy with such a finite resource. And a cool stat I was telling Larry out there was that if you could tap into just 0.1% of the earth's heat energy, you could power humanity for 2 million years, just 0.1%. Really? Geothermal. Geothermal. But we don't, try to do that like oil and gas they're all the ones that spend the money they're only searching for oil and gas when when they drill and rockets too hard they stop because it, it costs too much it doesn't make sense if you can drill 6.2 miles anywhere on the planet 50 percent of the earth's population can access geothermal now let me tell you how important this is if you could reach 400 degrees celsius that's the magic heat number 10 times the amount of power. It's this awkward thing happens with physics. It's no longer a, a water and it's no longer a gas. It's this unique in-between state of physics where 10 times the amount of energy is contained other than a water or a gas. 400 degrees, but it's you got to get through hard rock to get there, okay? If you can do that, if we could get to 400 degrees in Kaysville, you could probably power all of Davis County with one nine-inch, two nine-inch wells. Really? Two nine-inch wells drilled that deep could power probably almost all of Davis County. So, and 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 the the amount of footprint, like it's the three hundred and twenty acres of solar panels could get reduced or replaced with just two nine-inch holes. Really? Yeah. So the problem is it costs too much so far, and the only people that spend the money to do this is oil and gas, and because they're looking for oil and gas, they just quit. But. All of the components around, you know, to do this are available in other industries. No one's ever put it all together to do that. So why am I so passionate? I, I cannot believe there are places in the Congo and Africa, they still don't have electricity. Like that is like we have holograms and we have self-driving cars and there's still pl huge populations that don't have access to electricity. Why? So I started going blind and I said, okay, what can I wake up every day and say, I am doing something that could change the world, right? Mm -hmm. And that's my passion. That's why I get up and I, I fight the struggles every day is to say, can I do something that can make a lasting impact forever? And, you know, there's a lot to be done. There's a lot of money to still go, but we're making great progress. So where, where, what, what regions? Of so the... we partner with University of Oklahoma. Okay. So instead of building our own labs and hiring our own scientists, it was, it's cheaper for us to leverage 
theirs. Theirs, right? They have the tools, the toys, the people. So we pay them to do the R&D. We're hopefully by the end of this month, we'll have done some lab, excuse me, drilling, testing with our new technology and have some results. Um, And then we got to take it to the field and actually try to drill it and see if it does what we think it will do. So this is based on data and and it's not actually been done yet. No. And by the way, no one on the earth has done what we're trying to do yet. There's others trying to do it. There are other geothermal plants their temperatures can be 150 to 200, 300 degrees Celsius, but no one, and, and why that's important is geothermal only works in that scenario if you're places around the earth that have heat that heat. are close to the surface, okay. right? So geothermal, as people think it now, is very limited geographically. Okay. But if you could drill 6.2 miles and hit that 400 degrees Celsius, 50% of the world's population can use it. If you can go 12 miles... 95% of the Earth's population will have access to it. Really? It's just getting to that It's just getting, and it's miles. expensive and it's hard, but no one's ever tried it. They don't care because let's just go for oil. Where are the perfect areas in the world to do that? Well, if you can a- hit anywhere? 6.2, you, you don't want to be Park City because you got to drill for through sure, mountains, right? Right, right. so but, low, like Nevada or... Yeah, oh, Nevada. I mean, literally, if I, and I, I text Larry out there a map, a heat map of the Earth that shows where is 400 degrees Celsius available. It's almost everywhere on the planet. Really? Yeah. So where will the first drill be? Don't Are know you yet. Still looking at data. Yeah, okay. still looking at data, and you know we're still looking at where do we want to field test. We still might be a year, year and a half away. I mean, it's a it's a long process, right? But the question is, can you democratize energy? Like people try to say, healthcare should be a basic human right, right? There's a lot of debates about that. Mm-hmm. Energy should should be as well, right? Mm-hmm. Um, Obviously, someone has to spend a lot of money to get it and produce it and transmit it. That was one of the reasons we were interested in Kaysville. A lot of cities don't own their power transmission lines. So if there was a better, cheaper way, if they don't own the lines, doesn't matter. They can't give it to their their citizens. What was unique about Kaysville and other cities is if you own your transmission, you can get your power from anywhere, theoretically. Let's say Kaysville, this works, you could drill a hole in our backyard and access this always on 24-7, clean, reliable energy. You, Kaysville, has the power, the power, excuse me, they have the means to get mm-hmm. it to the citizens because you own your power lines, right? Interesting. So that's what's unique. There's a lot of cities that don't. I talked to a lot of mayors around the country, and they're like, well, we don't own our power lines. Like, that's, that's, that hurts. Right. Because you have to buy the power from the people that control the power lines. Buy that. And they control, and that's mm-hmm. just like the same, you know, uh, problem a lot of people face. So that's why Kaysville is cool, and Lehigh is the same way. They own their own power lines. Now, you guys have a great power co-op where you're buying your power. It's cheap, um, and some of that's sustainable, but... Could you drill your own backyard and then give your power for pennies on the dollar? That's what the power of geothermal is available. How much would that cost? Billions? No, oh, no, no, no. And because no one's drilled that deep, I can't so say this really is how much know. it will cost. But the question is, you know, power is bought. It's like a, it's like a future, right? Mm-hmm. Like you're buying it over a period of, of, of time. Right. And so if you were to spend the money to invest in drilling, building a power plant, you would look over a 30 year period. How much is that going to cost? And the savings could be drastic, right? Um, that's not to that stage yet. But the question is, can you have your own power that you own and control? 
mean, that's right. liberating. That that changes the world, right? Yeah, absolutely. To be able to be self-sustaining yep. like that. You don't. And I mean, to be, the, the Ukraine-Russian war to sell it and to sell it like that. That made that we're so fragile. A war across the globe can change our gas prices here. Like, why? Right. But that's how intricately tied to the global economy oil and gas is, right? So where where is your company headquartered? It's in Lehigh. In Le- oh, in Utah. Our okay, biggest so. team is in o- Norman, Oklahoma, at University of Oklahoma. Okay. That's where most of the work is being done. Are you talking to the state? I'm sure you are. Yeah, I, I mean, I love more, you know, even to interview and have conversations. Like one of the the leading geothermal test wells is called Forge, and it's in southern Utah. Well, it's in between, uh, and University of Utah is a big uh, partner in that, and they're, they're making a lot of advancement. I'm. I, I would love more connections to people here because here's Larry asked me a question. What's the biggest hurdles to geothermal? The biggest hurdles are that most of that heat is owned by is under government or state land, federal or state land. So in order to drill, you have to have, you have, to have permits. And now permits can be hard. They can take forever. Right. And, and it's, a, it's an education process to our officials to say, here's the benefit of geothermal. Mm-hmm. Here's it's clean. Um, although when you look out your backyard, you're going to see a normal oil and gas drilling well. Because we use oil and gas for the first couple miles because they have the best technology. Then we switch it when you get too deep and too hard to our technology. Okay. But a normal citizen will say, I don't want an oil well in my backyard. No, no, no. Let's educate you. Right. So there's an education campaign both to government officials and to citizens to say this is going to be the net result. Clean, always on, forever power, essentially. What type of a footprint would an oil drill take in terms of is this a bit is this like a you know a thousand acre it depends of? on how much power you can tap and big you know and and technology for that is getting better i mean it could be you know there's a natural gas uh burning power plant in utah county where the old geneva mills are and that's mm-hmm. a pretty big footprint I grew up down there you did yeah so technology is shrinking and and uh that question is loaded because you're going to say how much power are you trying to produce and to okay, supply, got it. but it is significantly smaller than solar. Um, you know, it, uh, so I, I can give you some more info, mm-hmm. you know, later, but okay. it, it depends on a, a bunch of factors, but it can be smaller than a lot of coal burning power plants or having to drill, you know, dig for coal out of the mountain, right. you know. So you said you're public tra- a public. This one's traded. not. This oh, one's a this private. Is not. Oh, yeah, okay. My previous techno- uh, advertising technology oh, company was publicly was. traded. Yeah. Okay, yep. so this is privately funded. This is private. Yep, privately funded. And yeah, and so you know that's kind of where I'm focusing right now. All my time and energy, just how you know. And then I'm a part of another company um, called CancerVax that's trying to develop a uh, a vaccine, if you will, uh, to treat cancer. Really, which would be a, a game changer. So that project's with UCLA. They have three. We have three projects there. And again, a lot of my passion comes from my cancer. Is there a better way to treat cancer than what's currently being done? So that's a cancervax.com is that website. That's a fun project. That's fantastic. Yeah. So how did you get involved with Deep Power? Um, so the same. I had some investors in my previous company that. You know, we came together and said, how can we change the world? Okay. You know, and that conversation and, created this company. Yeah, and they had some other alternative energy. They had some solar, they had some hydrogen, and they hadn't done anything in geothermal. So we came together and said, hey, like, the power is below our feet. Like, literally, we could solve our own problems beneath our feet. We just have to capture it. Yep. Capture it, access it, find yeah, it. Exactly. Which, it, that's not an easy thing to do, but it's one worth 
trying. For, for sure. Yeah. So there, so there are other companies that do geothermal drilling, right? Oh yeah, yeah. And, and they're they're active. They're active, and, and okay. there's power plants that are producing heat and power mm-hmm. and electricity. Is it just really expensive right now? No, I think again that's because current technology you can only put a power plant where where that heat energy is close to the surface. Okay. Right. You're not drilling far enough. Right. So as soon as you can go deep enough, six point two miles, and hit that four hundred degrees, you can literally put it like throughout the whole country. Oh, that's really interesting. Yeah. And the environmental impact will be minimal since it's... Absolutely. Yeah. And that's the, you know, people are worried like, well, are we going to contaminate? The same questions from oil and gas. Mm-hmm. Are we going to contaminate our water wells? And, you know, there's some fracking involved. Like, here's the example. You drill through this hard rock and there's heat underneath it. In order to capture more heat, if you can you frack the rock, then the heat comes through the rock. Mm-hmm. So instead of trying to have oil come through the rock, you're trying to allow steam and heat to come through it. So fracking has a negative connotation because oil and gas has had issues. Mm-hmm. But using fracking for a different purpose can be very beneficial when it comes to geothermal, right? Because you're increasing the surface area, you're giving more access to the heat to come to the surface, right? right? Interesting. And so there you have More bang to, for the buck, basically. Yeah. You have to protect the environment, but once you're done, there's no emissions. It's just, it's just steam. Steam is what's produced. Really? There might be some, there's some corrosive gases that deep and that hot, but there's technology to filter that out. So you're not getting like carbon offset into the, there's none of that. Really? It's just, it's literally, that, other than nuclear, it's the cleanest, one of the cleanest forms of renewable energy you can have. I'll have to do some research. Yeah. That is interesting. Yeah. So your your interest in technology and R and D it comes from really your own personal experience of how do I how do I fix this? How, how do I, I fix make it? sure that my vision is yep is going to be and that's okay what I love again most people and you know you're a business owner mm-hmm. most people don't have what it takes to be a business owner only because. Every day is uncertain when it you is. own your own business. It's scary and You stressful. don't know if you're going to make payroll tomorrow. You don't know. It's 100% on you. True. All of the weight of your entire company is on you, right? And, right. and you're usually the last person to get paid. Mm-hmm. So there, uh, people think of being a business owner is so glorious. Like, you got to be kind of crazy to own your own business, right? <laughs> and naive, you know right? And naive. <laughs> but there's got to be something but in excited. you to say, I want that unknown. I want to control that. And if I win or fail, it's on me. It's true. You know, and most people fail multiple times, which I have failed tons of times, lost tons of money. And I've done, you know, I've made really bad decisions. And you've learned. And I've learned. And you've learned. And they've helped you to move forward. Yep. Tell us a little bit about your wife. She must be an amazing lady. She's amazing. Yeah. She grew up, she's a Davis Dart. Um, so her family now lives in Bountiful. Um, she is one of the most empathetic, uh, like she'll become someone's best friend in like a 30 second conversation. And I I envy that. And I could take her anywhere. Her name's Kristen. I could take her anywhere. And she's the life of the party. She has the most infectious laugh. Um, she's beautiful. You sound like a great couple. Oh, she's just, she's awesome. And, you know, being a foster parent, she has a gift. Right now she's a cuddler at Utah Valley Hospital. So being a foster parent, we have lots of babies. And so now she volunteers at the hospital and she holds babies because they're not held enough, right? Especially in the NICU. So that's the type of person she is. She spends her free time holding babies holding that babies need to be held. So if that tells you the kind of person she is, she's incredible. <laughs> she sounds incredible. She and is. you have two adopted children? So or yeah, you we have, have four kids. Four. Okay. So we have a 12-year-old, a 10-year-old, a 7-year-old, and a, and a 3-year-old. And the oh, oldest and youngest family. are biological. 
kind of miracle and then the two middle are adopted oh that's fantastic yeah. so she's busy as well she's and busy. you're busy as yeah. well and again the empathy of like these children need a stable loving home and i know utah has a huge problem still like we, we need really good foster parents that say it's not about me it's not about like what we want as a family can we offer love and stability to a child for whatever period of time and that comes with complications it, and it hardship does. and heartbreak and sadness and mm-hmm. frustration and stress and pain. But, right. but are these children worth our love? Exactly. Yeah. And so needed. That's yep. incredible to be part of the foster parent network. It is. Because I've, I have cousins that have fostered many children. And, you know, we've said, well, how can you do that? How can you love these children and then let them go? And they said, if we don't love them, nobody will. It's so so true. at least during the time that they're in our home, we can protect them, keep them safe, love them, and hopefully that will create a foundation. It's so true. And there's not enough support for foster parents because you go through things like we had, we brought a child home, our son home from the hospital from, from birth. We had him until he was two. He was really? talking, walking, mom, dad, and then he he got taken back. Oh, that would be heartbreaking. And we we didn't know it would feel like losing a child, right? And we didn't have the resources and the people around us to help us with that, but we still have a relationship with him. And he and his brother, and we see him every summer, and it's a beautiful thing oh, to see really them neat. grow, you know? I'm I'm an adopted child. Are you really? I am. I didn't know that. And so I I oh, am totally so grateful. Co- oh yeah. For people who were willing wow. to open up their homes. I was born in Seoul, Korea. Okay. And I was in a foster family. I'm told, um, until I was probably a year old. There in Korea. In Korea, okay. and then adopted when I was 15 I months had old. No so idea. I'm so adopted grateful. Um, by my by parents. American family. Uh, an here. American okay. family. Oh my gosh, what a crazy, amazing story. But I've just, I've got so much compassion and empathy and appreciation for people who are willing to do that. And look at how you've turned out, right? Right. You're an incredible person. Right. I had an opportunity to be loved and cared for and... Can I ask you, have you ever had a burning desire to go find your biological family? Yes, that's a great question. I So I've, I'm adopted. I have a sister who's also Korean, non-biological, okay. who's adopted. And then my parents had three kids. So I've always wanted to find my biological family. Mm-hmm. I, I just felt like they wanted to be found. And uh, so in 2019, our son actually married a, a wonderful woman from South Korea. Oh. She was here. She'd been here for like 10 years. So we decided to go back and meet her family because my son wanted to talk to her parents about mm-hmm. getting married. And so while there, we went to the agency, the adoption agency where I was adopted from, tried to get information. Mm. They didn't have any information to really share because they're closed mm-hmm. in Korea. Adoptions are closed. So I came home feeling really kind of frustrated, sure. especially after going to Korea. It was my first time being in the country since being born there. It's huge. Yeah. Millions and millions of people. So I thought, okay, I'll never find my family. Flash forward to, I think it was a year later, um, I got a DNA hit um, with 23andMe. Really? With a first cousin. And anyway, long story short, my my sweet Korean... Daughter-in-law was able to, able to communicate in Korean to this first cousin who then what? introduced us to the biological family. So what? I have been able to meet them. Really? They're, we went <clears throat> to Korea a couple years later, met them as a family. Oh, my goodness. And then goodness. they're actually coming. So my biological mother and biological so brother. Your, your biological, oh, my goodness. Yes, my parents ended up getting married after they gave me away. They had two biological oh sons. Anyway, so some of the family is going to come to Utah. Oh, that a miraculous in story. Utah, in, in May. Wow. So it, it is a good story. So not to dig deep into you, you're not the guest here, but I'm so curious because we've wondered as foster or adopted parents, will our children love us less if they meet their biological parents? How has that changed your relationship at all? I mean, like, 
once you met them, did you feel any different about your adopted parents or? No, not at all. In fact, that's a really great question. My, uh, my adopted parents are wonderful people. Absolutely wonderful. I was raised by loving parents with a great family. My mom, she passed seven years ago. Okay. And she would always tell me, Tammy, I want you, to, uh, let's go find your mm. Korean mom. Let's go find so her. So they were and supportive. Her. Absolutely. Now, it didn't happen while my mom was mm-hmm. alive. I am kind of grateful that she was able to pass before it happened because I didn't ever want her to feel competing or like I loved her any less or was less appreciative. My dad, um, actually after my mom passed, got remarried Mm -hmm. and he's having a wonderful life. He met a beautiful woman and and they're married and and they live together and have, you know, are part of her family. And, um, my relationship hasn't changed at all. Mm -hmm. It just has made me so much more grateful. Does it make you feel more whole? Yes. Mm. And that is a really magical feeling. In fact, after I met my adopted, my birth parents, I, I can't even explain how it felt to me. And I, and I don't want to overstate it because so many people will never make that connection. Yeah. But for me, it just gave me this sense of belonging. Like mm. I felt whole. Yeah. I've, Did you feel like something was missing your whole life? I, I felt like I didn't know who I was. Okay. And so then I turned to my husband and I turned to my kids and I said, do you have this confidence? Mm. Because all of a sudden I felt this completion, this confidence wow. of knowing this is who I am. This is who I'm from. Not to take away from my adopted parents because absolutely I'm their family. Mm-hmm. But it just gave me this feeling of confidence. And I and I am reluctant to say that because I know a lot of people will not sure. experience that. But I didn't know how it felt yeah. until I felt it. And so it's been it's been an amazing experience. Ugh. You know what though? I not that this podcast is about me, but I actually have another first cousin who lives in another state. Mm-hmm. She's an orthodontist, wonderful lady. Her biological first cousin. Biological wow. first cousin. So we found out that my mother had had me gotten pregnant. Her husband, my father, had to go serve in the army for mm-hmm. three years. They came back, they got married. Well, my cousin's experience was very different. Mm-hmm. And um, her birth mother had not told her about her being, you know, her family, about her being born. And so for her, it was a completely different feeling of additional rejection. Oh, yeah, so because hard. here I'm, I'm saying, hey, we're going to Korea. We're going to meet my birth family. Do you want to come and meet your birth mom? And her birth mom said, ooh, wait, I... I would. I love you, and I'm so sorry I gave you away, but I don't want to meet you because oh. my family doesn't know. That's salt on open so wound. So it can huh? be. Yes, mm. it can be such a totally yes. different experience, and so it just kind of depends on the circumstances, right. I guess. But thanks for sharing. I hope anyone's yes. listening that's considering fostering, adopting, yes. like love isn't a biological thing. For sure, love is. You can love, and you can love so deeply that you don't feel a difference between biological or not, right? And that's exactly. the beauty of love and children and family is right. it's what you make of it. But right. yeah, there's a lot of biological families I know that wish they weren't and you know <laughs> so, wish they were adopted. Yeah, it's like right, no exactly. grass is greener. But thank you for sharing. That, we've always been so we've always wondered what our children will go through. Your children are still young. Yeah. Have they asked? We we do not we do not keep it hidden. Okay, you're adopted. We, we chose you. you, and that's what I love is like we chose you. You're so special. We chose you to be a part of our family. That's neat. You know, that's kind of how, we, and we celebrate adoption day, kind of like a birthday. Really, so it's something to be celebrated, that's not to exciting. be like embarrassed about, you know, or hidden. That's yeah. really neat. Have your kids expressed any desire? Or um, to, one, to define their birth one of our parents. children actually lives back with his biological grand uh, aunt in California. Oh, okay. Well, the whole other story 
we love him deeply, but it was the best situation for him to go back. So he's still biological or he still adopted our child, but he lives with his biological family. He gets to be with his grandparents, his cousins. And it's just a beautiful mess that turned out how it was supposed to. Oh, that's good. It's really neat the way God has a plan for our lives. He does. And no matter what people believe in terms of a deity or a higher power, I know that there's, um, there's a plan. There is a plan. And it's beautiful, and you can't see it in the middle. But when you look back and see the pieces fit, uh, you can feel some completion and, you know, satisfaction. Absolutely. And just sitting here across the table from you, it's so neat to be able to hear your story. Thank you. And and to hear how grateful you are for the path that you've been given. Yes. And that you've chosen to take moving forward. You have such great energy and enthusiasm. And I love the fact that you work in a place that inspires you. Yeah. And you're able to do things that really get you excited. Yes. And that's my, what I tell people is like, I want to be a business a business owner or whatever. I said, not everyone has the luxury of just changing their jobs like that. But I would be so sad to spend an entire life or career on something I didn't care about. So I don't, I'm not inviting anyone listening to quit their job on a whim, but go find something you can be passionate about. If it's not work, do something that brings joy and satisfaction and purpose. Because the saddest thing is someone who wakes up every day purposeless, wandering through life, just checking a box, right? Our life's short. We don't know how long we'll be alive. So do something, even if it's not drastic, say hi to someone at the gas station you wouldn't normally say hi. Do something to, to find some joy and meaning in your life. And I promise when you do that, energy comes to you, right? Like energy is created. You don't spend energy doing something you love. Energy is truly created. And so do something, do something today. If whoever's listening, right, just do one thing. Andrew, that is such great advice. Thank Thank you you so much for being here. I appreciate it. Thanks for inviting. And I am happy, grateful, and blessed. And that's why I love the title of your podcast, because I truly feel like that's who I am. Well, thank you so much. (laughs) You're obviously this person. I appreciate having you. Thanks. To all my podcast listeners, thank you for listening. I really appreciate your feedback and your support. Please leave comments and please leave suggestions for future guests. And most importantly, subscribe. Thank you.